Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Speak Slander Words. As always, I'm your host, Dave Reed. In this episode, we speak to Stefan Abingdon from the popular TV show The Midnight Beast. Stefan also has a great body of songwriting credits under his belt, including a track for Selena Gomez. But what I really wanted to get to the bottom of was how he coped with writing the vast variety of genres The Midnight Beast cover. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash warnerchapel UK. Follow us on Twitter at warner underscore chapel. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Remember, chapel is spelled with two P's and two L's. Is that Logic Open? It is, yeah, yeah, Logic Open. And I have been doing a remix for Selena Gomez today. Very cool. I was going to yeah. say, because I, you know, swatting up on you a little bit and I saw yeah. the Selena cut and I was like wow that's pretty impressive did, did that come from this trip that you just went out or was that from before no it was um basically we the, the midnight beast had been causing a bit of attention online and apparently Selena Gomez had to pick her favorite acts for a um it was like a competition like a playlist not even a competition sorry it was um it, her management wanted her to pick some of her favorite stuff she'd seen on YouTube and I think it was her her, one of her managers, Brian, found the Midnight Beast and thought, didn't know if it was like appropriate or mm. something like for that. But he was like, you've got to do something with these guys. And we talked about collaborations. Eventually, I managed to get a remix out of it. Yeah. And then and then that turned into them wanting me to produce the song I was remixing. And then that turned into me going over there and then co-writing and changing the song with them and stuff. And before, and then like, it, suddenly I was like uh, the writer and producer of the track wow. <laughs> which is amazing which is the first song that I'd ever produced for anyone else wow yeah for Selena Gomez yeah <laughs> what a way to make an entrance though. I know it was yeah. good yeah <laughs> and so this is basically basically this is a remix on spec um yeah so we'll see what happens I guess yeah, yeah. a remix on spec is that they've given you something to do and they've, they've just... yeah so um i'm pretty sure that's how, that's how you put it remix on spec is like i could get it i could not if okay, it's yeah. good then i'll get it sure cool <laughs> yeah so just for the sake of the podcast you've just got back from la yeah what what were you doing in la um i was doing a writing trip um i went for two weeks in los angeles um one in nashville and one in new york and my management lh7 which i just signed with um, they're based out there and they'd hooked me up with the Warner team in Los Angeles. So I went over there to kind of make connections, do a few writing, like kind of sessions and stuff and kind of see what I could yeah. come out with. Really. Did you, do you have any highlights from the trip? Yeah, um, I had a great session with Aaron Beck and um, Whitney Phillips um, on a song that we wrote together. And Aaron Beck was um, behind LMFAO's first album. and. Cool. It was pretty inspiring meeting her because she's uh, also a Warner writer. She is a lyricist and I hadn't had much um, experience writing with lyricists. Normally you write with a melody person or whatever, but in the States, uh, people are a lot more kind of divided up in like their roles sometimes I find in sessions. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, which is really like kind of exciting as well. And so sometimes I'd go into a session, I'd just be the track guy. And because I blur the lines between producer melody lyricist or whatever and um erin just does lyrics so you play her a tune by the time that it's finished uh, like maybe a beat like a three minute beat i played her by the time i was finished she'd written the whole song already like all the lyrics and ready wow. to go basically and, and you tweak stuff and you'd leave the session in like a few hours i mean she she was great and and her background was not um she she basically was a i think she was script writing 
and she just got in the studio with LMFO, threw some ideas down, and made a you know Grammy award-winning maybe album, which wow. is insane. That is pretty insane. So, yeah. so when she puts the lyrics down, she's not thinking top line or anything. She's just no. literally putting lyrics down. Yeah. And then, so how how are you able to? Was it your job in that position to then kind of come up with the top line, or was there somebody else, like the, like you said in America, who has that specific role? Yeah, it, it was a bit of both. Um, the first session I did with Erin, I was lucky enough to get two days with her. The first session was also with a girl called Paulina, and she wrote on the Eminem album as well. And she was um, she was responsible for kind of handling the melody to Erin's lyrics and then I'd interject bits and pieces and the second day it was a girl called Whitney who was doing the same thing and they'd, they'd come up with lyrics melody I'd bounce off them with the music and then also but the thing that I liked about those sessions the most is the lines did get blurred and that's my favourite when people don't really have a role in the room you know the, the person who's used to doing lyrics is coming up with a melody yeah. the person who's used to come up coming up with a melody is on the computer and I'm somewhere you know what I mean and yeah it's really I think exciting. that's probably very true actually yeah it kind of just brings I guess the traditional rigid kind of things of what's been put out already yeah kind of beca- become a little bit edgy and just exactly. kind of thrown out there doesn't it yeah, yeah that's yeah. it what do you say um, you've mentioned that you kind of crossover with a few things what would you say is your favorite um my favorite definitely favorite genre of music has always been always been pop so i it's really easy for me to know that i'm rooted in pop but the thing that's cool about popular music is it that's that mean that can mean anything yeah of course and it takes from different genres exactly and even to the extent where now really left field alternative music can still be fused into pop music so I, I've always said I'm into pop, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> sure. But um, but yeah, no, I've I came from a background of composing. The, the thing that got me into songwriting was like pop punk, just straight up playing electric guitar who, in my who, bedroom. Who are you listening to? What? Um, you know. When I when I first started, it was all kind of Blink One Eight Two, Limp Bizkit, Papa sure, Roach, yeah. just all the like yeah. gi- bands that have turned into like guilty pleasures. Of, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like people that were born in eighty nine, ninety nine. Yeah, or I think I'm the same age as you, so yeah, I kind of. Grew up with a similar thing. My go-to pleasure is Good Charlotte. Oh man! There you go. There, sorry, I remember the, the first album. <laughs> oh, that, that was a great. Yeah, and that that didn't take long before that started fusing. Like it, it furthered my interest, and I got into a band called Glassjaw a lot more. And Glassjaw, the lead singer, he was really into Elvis Costello, and then I dug deeper and got into Elvis Costello and uh, the Police and stuff like that, and then kept mm. finding my way. And then the minute that I kind of accidentally got into production electronic music was my thing and now I love I, I, I've always loved kind of quirky electronic pop music like stuff like Charlie XCX now mm-hmm. and what Iggy Azalea is doing and stuff like that the fact that that's pop is it's like an amazing place to be in. being a creative guy and I know you you don't just think about music but I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure due to your YouTube videos and things what do you think of Iggy Azalea's new video the one in the school yeah yeah I, I really like it I was I was yeah. watching it with um uh, Drew, uh, also in the Midnight Beast, and um, last night, and we were saying um, he he wasn't like he loves the song. We both did. He didn't love the video because he thought it was stereotypical. But I thought it was kind of I thought it was playing on the stereotypes of the whole high school thing. And yeah. actually, she's very much putting herself in a world that she's not normally in. So she's kind of half taking the piss out of pop and half living in it, which is kind of what the Midnight Beast have been yeah. doing for the last yeah. four years. So obviously, you cross over from music. To, to video quite a bit yeah 
was that something you always imagined you would do when you were when you were growing up or were you just kind of swept up in the whole YouTube thing and you were just like hey this is great I'm going to continue doing that and was that just something that was very natural for you? Um, definitely not I mean like when I was at school we, we had a project and um, it was actually me and Ashley because I've known Ashley from the Midnight Beast since I was 10 years old and um, we were at school and we had to do a project and I had to learn how to edit videos and um, we, and so I learned that I was really into it and I kept on doing it in various bands and then Drew and I have known each other since we were 14 as well and we on tour we'd make these stupid like kind of videos like either just little skits or or like kind of tour diary like kind of bromance stuff and um and I'd always edit them and I started getting an editing style from that and being into like the office and, and Edgar Wright films and stuff like that and all of that we just started having this thing where we were like it'd be fun to do something comedy but none of us it's not even like we were into comedy like we liked it but we weren't like comedy comedy guys where people that obsess over it and know everything about it and I mean yeah we, we love the idea of doing something visual which which I could tap into the editing I could also produce with Drew and we just started mucking about and suddenly there was that but I never thought that my music career would be so heavily influenced by comedy at all. Yeah, I mean, it probably came as quite a shock to you. I mean, yeah. how did you first feel when you started putting videos up by the, with the Midnight Beast and you got the kind of res reception you did with the, the Kesha? Yeah. With it. Um, it, yeah, it was insane. It was kind of, suddenly we were playing like to crowds that I was used to seeing the bands that I got into music for play to and You'd kind of see them and think they're living this insane life and like kind of going back to these penthouses and just sure. like nut stuff. And we were suddenly doing that, but I was still like living in my parents' place, sleeping on my bunk bed and then producing all the music <laughs> underneath the bunk bed. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it was amazing. It was a really kind of grounded experience of like not knowing what the hell was going on, but suddenly like being able to do the kind of stuff that I'd always wanted to do. Yeah totally with the people that I would have not expected to do it with. Well, maybe Drew, but me and Ash, like, were just friends from school. It was just like, he's just my mate. And um, suddenly we were kind of sharing the stage together and I was passing on tips that I'd learned in other bands. He was passing on tips from acting stuff that he'd done. So it was, yeah, it just ran away with itself. Yeah, it seems that way. I, I've listened to that track so many times, the YouTube video, that when Kesha comes on, I'm often like, hey, that's not the right lyrics. You know? And then <laughs> yeah. I have to remember, hold on. <laughs> she did the original. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it's kind of like ingrained so far now. That's weird. So your parents are musicians? Yes. Yeah. How did that have an effect on you as growing up? In a huge way. I mean, they were straight up supportive of everything I did. And, and I mean, my brothers are a lot older than me. So my parents would play every weekend in like social clubs or pubs. Um, entertaining and they they were a duo called the best of both and my dad actually had a great career of doing um doing kind of sound design and monitors for people like bob marley and stuff and my dad played in many kind of psychedelic bands and that kind of thing and, and reggae and all the stuff that i'm into now and then um and my mum learned the banjo when she was quite young and they met and they they'd start kind of playing in the, these social clubs and everything together and that was that was our main source of income as a family was music so straight away i knew that music had you know there was a way to sustain a career in music not that that's what it's about when you're younger but it was certainly a really groundbreaking thing to discover quite young and i yeah. think where a lot of friends 
would suddenly drop out of playing music when they're like 16. It's like, all right, we better get a job, a real job now. I'd be like, what do you mean get a real job? Like this is a real yeah. job kind of thing. And so it had a great effect in that. And at the same time, they were just so supportive of everything. Like my dad from an early age would drive me and Drew to the whatever Wimbledon Community Center we were playing for our gigs and help do sound and help me pick the right guitar to get. And mm. you know, for a Christmas present, I could ask for stuff like that. And I think, it had, a, it had a great effect on me and my bands that we were doing because my parents would get involved and not to the extent where it's like that pushy parent thing, but to the really cool extent where they're just offering legit amazing advice that I'd only realized was so beneficial when I was like 20. And I'd be like, Jesus, I've been lucky with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I come from very much the opposite of that. Really? Yeah. So, in, I mean, my parents were always very encouraging to whatever hobbies I had. Yeah. And, you know, I went through the whole thing of enjoying music and playing in bands and things yeah but there was a massive aspect of you know like okay cool yeah like you say time to switch on let's yeah. think about university let's think about you know career yeah and although i went down the creative path yeah although and music was my first love i didn't choose music and it yeah. wasn't until a few years later that uh I, it kind of came up again and the opportunity came yeah. but I wonder often wonder where I would be now potentially if, yeah. if I had just continued on that road and my brain wasn't thinking you know totally in the opposite way that you've just said which is yeah, yeah which is kind of sad in a way but also it's just the way it is and, and yeah. yeah um but it's a really good situation for yourself yeah it's, no, it's and pretty cool it, it, yeah it's a funny thing you know often I reflect on life and I, I'm 25 and like and they, they, there's times where you're like oh am I getting too old to do this or too old to do that but the cool thing about music is it's like yeah th there's that real expectation of you can't do something when you're this age or that age but then you see the rules bent all the time and it doesn't mean anything so I mean I I think the cool thing is you, you could pick up a guitar uh, you could pick up a guitar when you were 30 years old in my opinion and two years later be writing for Britney Spears or whatever sure, yeah. because like it, it is that mad industry yeah. where yeah. anything's kind of possible I it guess. kind of is yeah you're right yeah the one thing I really want to kind of really grasp is the yeah. whole thing of what is it like writing for the Midnight Beast and what is it like what's the difference with writing pop songs like like you've been doing you know whilst you're in the states and stuff first of all the midnight beast what's that like writing for that um writing for the midnight beast is weird like i grew up playing in so many genres of bands like electronic hip-hop rock metal everything and i grew up loving all of it and i realized quite quickly that there was no no one would ever take you seriously if you did all of them and you know i i'd I'd played to maybe the same A&R in three different bands and they'd be like, what the hell, like, what's your style kind of thing? And, and I realized quite quickly everything. I just wanted it all. And I know that sounds cliche, but in the sense where people say that and then they've got a very definitive sound, I would literally be making these carved out sounds. Of, so quite early on, I was into everything, always trying to find something. And everything I did was a little tongue in cheek and, um, and a bit funny. And the Midnight Beast just happened by accident because I loved I, I loved the idea of doing a concept where we could do a Kesha song and then break into a new metal song and then break into a Mumford and Sons pastiche and I'd get to produce all these things and it's something I still haven't really learned the difference between writing a pop song and writing a Midnight Beast song because quite quickly when I, I, I'd get into this mindset, right, I need to write a pop song, I'm writing it for Demi Lovato today or something and, and I'd be like, 
what kind of thing does Demi want to say? What kind of melody does Demi want to sing? And I realized quite quickly that that is not the way to go about it. You just got to do what you do. Mm. So I'd start trying to get Midnight Beast. Like, how do I think of a Midnight Beast idea? How do I think of a pop one? It should just come from the same brain cells, I yeah. think. It should be the same thing. So I'm forever trying to find a way to fuse the two. And it is really hard because your brain can only kind of think in boxes sometimes, I think. And But, yeah, it's... I think... The, the real difference between the two is the Midnight Beast, every lyric counts. And not that it does in the pop song, but in a pop song you can go on a you can go on a nice kind of trail of thought and you, you can write stuff that sounds nice or you can write stuff that means something to you. With the Midnight Beast, the number one thing is it's gotta be funny and it's gotta hit hard. It's like a narrative as well in the songs yeah. a lot of the time in the show, there's lots of narratives. That's it, yeah. yeah. And it can really stunt the creative process. So I've got to the stage now where it works a little bit where the Midnight Beast will be a career and then writing for other people will be therapy and then the next week the Midnight Beast is therapy and writing for other people is a career and, and it's yeah. nice and music's become my career and hobby and but my ears hurt. <laughs> I'm sure they do, yeah. There's a lot to think about with yeah. all that, yeah. Talking about, you know, how you're influenced a lot by electrical electronic music and things. Yeah. Now having the connection with the state side, obviously EDM is like massively taking off there yeah um have you have you thought about trying out the edm genre at all for me as a writer yeah for you as a writer yeah, yeah. and like you know with the connections you have with the states could you yeah. could you see that happening would you want to have that happen totally i mean i can i i like the world of edm in the sense that it's suddenly the producer is the artist and and i mean every songwriter or producer will always have some sort of ego where they obviously want to have a bit of the attention, I guess, you know, and, and EDM really does make it that way. And I mean, I've always been into it. The thing that I don't love about it as a genre sometimes is there's certain rules that you do need to follow. But then at the same time, that's exciting because if you can find a way to break them, you can make something really interesting. And I think that's that's what a lot of interesting EDM guys have been doing recently with people like Porter Robinson and Zed. And um, well, and always Calvin Harris. I mean, he's become the sound, and people will be like, "Ah, oh, Calvin Harris sounds like Calvin Harris. Avicii sounds like Calvin Harris. All these things are blending, and there's so many. There's only so many ways to get to the drop or whatever. But at the same time, when those guys came out, it was pretty groundbreaking stuff. So, yeah, to answer your question, I'd love to go down that route, but I'd like to craft a way to make it sound like Stefan still. I think. Sure, I totally understand that. Yeah. yeah. To have your kind of imprint, like your footprint on on the genre. Totally. That's, that's you. Yeah. And would you want to do it down the producers and artists route as well? Do you think you would think about that? It's something I, I've always liked thinking about. I've yeah. always been into, you know, obviously people like Dr. Luke and Benny Blanco who are owning the world of songwriting mm. and um and have been for a long time and Max Martin on the other end, but with Benny and Dr. Luke, they're, it's a real personality thing. They can go out, they could probably DJ under those names. They're, it's it's an interesting world of stuff. And I think, yeah, the producer and the songwriter are becoming the artist. And there's definitely two types. There's the classic, the songwriter, who is the guy behind the scenes. But no, I, I'd, I'd always like to go down that route. But right now, I think it's it's been trying to find my style of writing and, and um, get a few more cuts, I think, has been really important. Yeah. yeah. So going back to the difference between Midnight Beast and songwriting. Yeah. For, in the case of the Midnight Beast, how are you actually writing? Are you writing with the other guys from the group? Are you bringing other co-writers in? 
What's the kind of practical? Um, we've always um, we've always just written the three of us. Um, we've never written with anyone else, and um, until actually the other day. But I'll go into that. <laughs> but um, but um, we normally the process is I come from a completely classic songwriter's point of view, where I know how to get from a verse to a chorus and the tips to get to a middle eight and why you'd want a middle eight and yeah. why you'd want to change the subject in a second verse and things like that and and how I want the melody of the chorus to go. I come from that. At, um, so normally I'll lay down a foundation, maybe a few lyrics, a few melodies on an acoustic guitar or even the full track sometimes. Then Drew will get involved and help me buff it up in places. Drew is great with hip hop production and he always, and he's always had a really good just bouncing off ability where he'll sit in with me and even if I'll just be the one on the computer making it Drew will be able to vibe off me and help me take it in a place that I wouldn't expect um, because he's not a classic songwriter and then Ashley even more so with um, kind of less less like kind of musician-y kind of ability like that token kind of playing an instrument and stuff like that he'll come in and bring normally the straight up comedy ideas and we'll find a really good fusion between the three of us and then come out with something and normally you know there's been times where i've written the whole song before i've sat down with them and it's missing a line and they'll come in and they'll go to me that whole second verse is not funny and if it's not funny to them then it's not funny to me, and yeah, you know yeah, we're yeah. we're in it. We're only we're our best critics with, with Midnight Beast. If if the three of us find it funny, we find that's quite a good gauge, and yeah. at least we find it funny, kind of thing. It's, it's it is uh, interesting because you do go across so many genres. Amazing, yeah. It, no, it, it it is. It's incredible. I think I was I was just to kind of like do whilst I was doing some research on you, I watched the first episode of the second series today. Yeah, and I think it starts with the, the track. I swear. Or, yeah. 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 And then, like, the way that begins is just so different to like how um, is it Beast song ever? You know. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's a massive contrast there yeah. with, with styles of genres and yeah. the way things flow. And I just think that is just incredible. So that's wicked. Yeah. I, I, my, that's my appreciation. No, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. Thank you. And 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 I think that's the thing. We we wanted to go, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't make. I I always knew from the beginning it didn't make it funnier that. I was producing the tracks or mixing them or mastering them, but I did it as a necessity because we didn't have any money when we started. And now I've enjoyed the control. So now Drew's way more in, in that field as well. And he started producing tracks for Midnight Beast. And, but we always knew that was just extra stuff to take on. But we just found the more people you involve, the less it gets. So it's amazing to hear yeah. someone that, that, that appreciates the, the production that's gone into yeah. it. That's great. I think it's, it's, I'm surprised to hear that you don't, have anybody else? Yeah, that's I mean, great. I mean that the, I mean that's just they sound so good. Thank you. They're, they're, they're very cool. So that's awesome. So, yeah. Thanks. So going on to the flip side, songwriting. Yeah. I'm assuming uh, you're you're doing that on your own. You know, yeah. right? although you are going with in with co-writers and yeah. stuff. Um, and you've mentioned before about the same kind of brain cells and things. How how do you write on your own? Um, when I'm on my own, normally. Um, a lot of the time it can come from my synths. I mean, I've collected synths from an early age and I'll, mm. I'll mess around with, um, with them for ages and find like an interesting sound or sometimes a patch. Normally, normally I'll buy something or write like two songs with it and then get bored of it and buy something else. And it's, so it's always been if I ever make any money from songwriting, then I'll just put it straight back into it. But normally I'll find an interesting sound and that will spark something. Or a lot of the times it can come from the shower as well. I'll just be in there <laughs> because it's the one place where I haven't got the TV on. I haven't, I'm not reading something. I'm not listening to music. And 
I will, I'll like come up with a either a little melody or a little idea for if if it's the title idea, then that really is like the gold dust because when you've got the title. It's all easy from there, in my opinion. I think finding a melody can be an easy thing. I think finding the beat can be the easiest thing. Like the hardest thing is coming up with the concept for it. So if it comes from the concept, it's it's all kind of it, it, there's never an uphill struggle after that, really. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of the time we do the podcast, and you know they've different people have very much like you know I'm a melody person or I'm a beat person, but it yeah. sounds like but by you mentioning you know the synth thing first and then being in the shower as well, yeah. Which is more of a melody thing. It's yeah. it's actually very like two different things. That's that's more track, I guess. Yeah. You know, tune, and then there's the melody that you you get in the shower. That's, to- yeah, totally. That, it, it's that's interesting. It's like you cross over both. Yeah, it it makes it hard, and and people don't take you seriously when you say yeah. I do a bit of everything because yeah. there's the as my manager says, don't be a jack of all trades, master of none. And it's like it's it's that it's that real thing where you want to excel in all of them. You want to be good at making tracks you want to be good at, you want to be the best at making melodies and you want to be great at good lyrics but it's like if if i'm not excelling at one in a session i won't push it like if if the lyrics are handled by the other two i'm so happy to just sit back yeah. and and offer nothing yeah. because i and sometimes there's been times where i've been in sessions and either one of the writers hasn't done the thing or i haven't done the thing and that's not always a bad thing it's sometimes from someone just being in the room, the song goes a certain way. Mm. And I find that that's the coolest thing about songwriting. There are no rules. Yeah. And when you feel like you've cracked the code to writing, it just changes and you, can, yeah. and you can't get it back. Yeah. Um, also, just to kind of throw it open a little bit more, yeah. Cast of Lions, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, um, well, yeah, Cast of Lions was a project, again, that I started for relaxation and therapy. Yeah, it's, it's very, I, mean, I, 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 I want to say different to the Midnight Beast, but yeah. like in the sense that I think probably I'm, I'm guilty in this myself a lot of people would see you and think Mi- the midnight beast yeah but obviously there's a lot more to you you've played music all your life by the sounds of it yeah and so there is going to be another side to you than just the midnight beast so, yeah so what did, what does the cast of lions bring to you that the other projects don't um well uh, cast of lions all started with just friendship I, I i when i was about 17 we were lucky my band the click click which i was playing in at the time were lucky enough to get taken on tour by a band called Hadouken and t- two of the members from Hadouken um, had the studio upstairs to me and um, they we very quickly made friends and hung out a lot we supported them on many more tours I started remixing them and did some of my first remixes for them and they really gave us a massive leg up and um, and then actually weirdly enough the Midnight Beast first show ever was supporting the Hadouken guys at Coco we that's a pretty good first gig yeah coco what camden yeah coco wow. camden which was incredible and it was a great yeah. show and i mean so yeah we we stayed in contact and always wanted to create stuff together and another of our friends pat um who was in a band called shut your eyes and you'll burst into flames and um and he was part of the whole leads um kind of um there was a what do you call it yeah the, the leads band scene which hadouken were a part of when they first started as well and um, we all started hanging out and writing songs together, chucking demos about. And after a while, we just decided, let's just put some money in, go to Wales for Christmas, and just stay in, in like this cool cabin recording studio and just make an album. Yeah, I saw some of the videos, and it did yeah. look very cool. It was it was really yeah. fun, and and yeah, and we and we made it. We didn't make it to like become number one. We didn't make it to get an enemy. We didn't make it for any of the token band reasons. We just made it for good fun. 
and we released it and it went well and it's drummed up like lots of interest from people but we're just like picking at the moment like what we want to do with that project because we didn't even start it to kind of for it to like be a band kind of yeah. thing it was like we started it just for absolute therapy from our projects to just yeah. have a little bit of creative outlet and do yeah. something and unfortunately we do live in a world where if a journalist has seen you in a certain band they won't take you seriously in another one and and i know very early on that that the Midnight Beast could have been stumping myself in a way for creative, you know, if, if I wanted to do Cast of Lions seriously, it could do that. But at the same time, luckily, enough people are open-minded to kind of accept the two. So yeah. it's it's a really interesting thing, yeah. but it's been really fun. Yeah. You're talking about being a classic songwriter, and you were kind of explaining a little bit about like going from a verse to a chorus. Yeah. For those who, who listen to the podcast, but they don't really know much about songwriting, I, I just wanted to kind of go into that a little bit. Mm. Um, almost like in a, in a way a lesson to some people yeah. who've listened to the podcast what does it mean to you to be a classic songwriter um i think it's having it's unpicking enough songs and working out why they work and what it means to you i think in a weird way and slightly contradicting myself there is no way to classically write a song i mean and actually i i work with um um a really cool couple amy mayo and chris Lindsay in nashville and uh, Chris had a board on his wall of um, all his favorite songs. And above it, I forget exactly what the title said, but it was basically saying that um, every single song that meant something to him broke all the rules. So the God Only Knows, Bohemian Rhapsody, they're all absolutely mental as like structure. And so there is no real reason, but you've got to know in your heart what chords make you go, oh my God. And, and if you're not feeling it, then stop writing it, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean... And a lot of the time, my, my favorite bit of advice for anyone songwriting is just finish it. Like, it's always worth just finishing an idea. And fair enough, if you start it, you're two minutes in, you're like, this is terrible, then do drop it. But you never really know until you've seen it through all the way. And all the songs that I've been picking at for years, I don't think anything will ever come of them. All the ones that I just write in, like, sometimes it can take a week, and that sounds like a long time, but it... but. Normally you want that closure of going, right, that's done, move on. And it's like, if someone has some cool advice for it, then that's perfect, take it on. But normally it's knowing when to just just to put an idea, uh, put an idea down and just have a bit of closure and say it's yeah. over, kind of thing. Sometimes we, people say, you know, sometimes it can take just half an hour and you've yeah. got like a chorus and a yeah. verse and kind of a middle eight bridge thing. And, Definitely. And you kind of put the three, the three together and you've got a, a song and... And uh, it sounds like some of the best songs that people have written yeah. and some of their favorite ones have just kind of like really flowed yeah. out, um, which I think is really cool. Definitely. Y you mentioned um, about going from a verse to a chorus. Yeah. How do you do that? Um, well, I mean, th there's definitely real cl like classic ways to do it is you, you, you put the verse melody a little bit lower than the chorus so that you've got somewhere to go. So you can kind of if, yeah. take the energy up with the song with the exactly. progression. Yeah. yeah. And, and you try and you try and split up the, the tempo, the, the rhythm of the verse to the rhythm of the chorus. But there have been amazing examples where like with We Found Love by Calvin Harris, um, which was completely solely written and produced by him and no one else, which I find incredible. And the thing I love about that song, the verse and chorus are exactly the same in melody. And the only thing that's different is lyrics. And 
yet it feels like you really go somewhere and i and yeah. th that's that's really incredible and, and every time that you explain that what it means to me to go to a chorus is to have nice big notes and a nice higher melody and stuff like that yeah. but it doesn't always work for everyone and, yeah. and it's certainly that can also make people just go ah the generic trick of getting to a chorus as yeah, well yeah, yeah. you know so yeah. it's i think trying to find something unique and there's some great songs as well i think um uh all of this by the Naked and Famous, I really liked because um, the chorus is the um, that I can't remember exactly what the verse is, but then the chorus is that all of this is tearing us apart, and the fact that it goes down and gets actually a little bit subdued, I always really loved that about that tune. It just went somewhere that you wouldn't expect it to go and just drops right down, and I I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, to, and and the same again. I mean, do the same kind of principles apply to like the middle eight, the bridge kind of thing? Like you know. I mean, I guess, you know, middle eights, they can be anything, you know, they can, yeah. they can drop, they can go up. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's a bit about what, feeling what's natural. Yeah, definitely. And, and what kind of ones get you excited? I think if you're if you're off on a really cool, like, belting chorus and you want to keep the, ten the, the, the energy up and maybe do some sort of breakdown later, then it's quite nice to kind of do the Rihanna or the Kelly Clarkson where you just, you keep soaring above and you have chords that really climb and really kind of pull at the heartstrings and stuff but then there's the euphoria kind of thing where you just take it right down and I remember um, I was writing with Kinetics and One Love who wrote the chorus for Aeroplanes and we were doing a session in New York and and I threw out the bridge chord and they were laughing at me because it there's there's certain chords like if you're writing in the key of like C minor and then you take it to a I think it would be a flat major it's like that is like such a classic place to take a bridge but then there's so many times where that can just be perfect or i'll write other times with these guys kid gloves who wrote paris is burning uh, for lady hawk and they taught me a lot of things yeah, about songwriting I, a I good was, song. yeah and i was writing with them from from uh probably the age of 17 with the click click and um we carried on and um and it was actually them who played me TikTok by Kesher and originally gave me the idea to <laughs> do something with it. And they were um they just they try and find the weirdest stuff to do with songs. They will never do the same thing twice. And I really love that about working with them. It's it's yeah. cool. And that and again, that's the best thing about co writes because you'll you'll be able to pick people's brains and get influence on things that you never expected to do with yeah. a song. So I was just gonna think about the future moving forward. Yeah. The Midnight Beast. You've got an album coming out this month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Midnight Beast. We're releasing our album Stickheads on um, yeah. June. Yeah. In June, sorry. And um, and that is um, part soundtrack from the second series of our show, and uh, part original album as well. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place from kind of really kind of aggressive hip-hop beats to like suddenly just like Mumford and Sons pastiche we've got a bit of everything and some skits thrown in for um the classic kind of hip-hop uh, heads yeah. as well and um yeah it, it's been really fun and, and we're hoping to tour that album do something really ambitious yeah and um and maybe do some sort of um third series or something like that and yeah. we're also writing a modern opera for Comedy Central US for wow. for their uh, for it, it's a web series but hopefully we can do something else with it as well. A modern opera yeah. for Comedy Central. And and that has been the first thing that we've been writing with someone else in the room. Uh, we've been wor working Yeah, you mentioned that just now, yeah. Yeah, we've been working with a guy called Tom George and he's amazing and he 
he does play guitar, but he doesn't come from a background of songwriting. And we started working together on um, a video for top 10 comedy videos on YouTube, which we did uh, for Google. And um, we really got on with him well. So he's within the writing session for that. And we've got him in the room. So he's really pushing the narrative. We're really pushing the music. And the whole thing is sung like Les Mis. But it's, so it's exactly the polar opposite of what our TV show does, where our TV show will be a narrative, we're talking, and the music breaks it up. In this, it's complete musical yeah. with a few breaks of talking. So, so um, will it be under the name The Midnight Beast? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the name is The Midnight Beast in After the After After Party. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. And so, without revealing too much, yeah. What will the narrative be? It's a, obviously you're at a party by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. it's um, the three of us waking up um, from a classically out of hand house party, and it's the midnight beast pastiching the whole idea of an outrageous party and the consequences that may happen, whether they may be extremely weird or extremely normal. And um, basically, all three of us wake up with a sense of something terrible happened. Yeah. last night and it's us piecing the puzzle together yeah and did I hear you say there's more than one episode yes yeah. it's a it's a three part um, okay. series on, yeah. on a Comedy Central's website cool yeah. yeah cool and just also thinking about your songwriting yeah are you are you aware of like how how you're going to grow as a songwriter do, are you, are you, do you want to challenge yourself in certain ways and, and if so what, what ways would they be um Definitely, I, I think a big part of um, being a songwriter is um, learning new tips and tricks and working with new people. So I'd, I'd like to go back to the people that I wrote with in Los Angeles, Nashville, New York, and the people that I've written with here. I think the people that I was writing in my bedroom with when I was 14 years old are just as important as the people that have got hit records out at the moment. You know, it may be easier to get a cut with someone that's got a hit record out at the moment because they're the flavor of the, um, of the month or yeah. whatever. But at the same time, you know, you never know when something amazing is going to happen. And um, I've been pushing myself to develop artists. I um, had an amazing session with a guy, Johnny, who was in a band called Parachute Youth. And, and um, we were just having fun um, just messing around with some like funk guitar and stuff like that and we wrote a song called Can't Get Enough and um, that's already started making waves in the US and he's got signed off the song and, Amazing. and it suddenly created this project for him called Yeah Boy which I'm really heavily involved with as a producer and that's really exciting because when I first I haven't taken myself I've been producing since the age of maybe 18 which is seven years ago, and this has been the first time where I've thought of myself as a producer. Wow. I've always just laughed at the idea, basically. Yeah. So yeah. that's been really exciting, and yeah, pushing cool. myself in production is is a really a, a massive thing that I want to do. Cool. So yeah. production development, yeah, big things. Yeah, yeah definitely. Very, very yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for speaking Not to us on this all. podcast. It's it's been really cool and eye opening um, for myself, especially. I'm sure people listening to it will be too. Wicked, thanks. So thank you very much. No, thanks so much for having yeah. me. It's awesome. Cool. And buy the album, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> buy the Stickheads album. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man.